welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Melissa Sassy, Chief Penguin of the Entrepreneur and Student Experience at IBM, on the topic of digital inclusion and reaching the underserved and underrepresented through community. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. I find I'm doing that kind of like the hokey radio, the convergence of, okay. My you guest sound, today is no, Melissa Sassy. You sounded great. Oh, thanks. My guest today is Melissa Sassy. She's the chief penguin. I, these official titles, I'm just amazed at sometimes, of the entrepreneur and student experience at IBM. She has a PhD in international business where she focused on digital inclusion in underserved and underrepresented communities. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, what she's doing with her job, how it all comes together. I'm excited to have this conversation, but welcome, Melissa. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's nice to see you. It's, uh, it's been a while since we've you know, had a chance to see each other face to face, like in real life. But someone told me recently that you can no longer say in real life, even when you're in the digital world, um, because, you know, and think of that as something separate because it's all the same now. I don't know if that's true or not, because I'll tell you if I sit down here and have a drink or dinner with you, it, you know, over video, it's definitely not going to be the same as, you know, being at you know, some conference right. after party or whatever. You know, what's weird though, is I found this years ago where, I, like I see somebody conference and I'm just like, oh, hey, we're just getting a conversation. And they turn, it's like, you know, this is the first time we've ever met face to face. I'm like, no. How is that even possible? I, I've done the same thing yeah, many right. times. And then, yeah. then I realized, I realized like I've seen videos of this person I've had calls with, but I've only ever seen their Twitter profile picture. Yeah. It, but I, it just felt like we just plugged in and went. And sometimes... I mean, again, the, the mind is an incredible thing that it can trick the brain into thinking that it's, yeah. it's like now I have to reference. I'm just like, oh yeah, we had that conversation. And somebody's like, Christian, that was like five, six years ago when we had the conversation. I'm like, no, no, wait, what is that? I know, right? Around? Oh, that was in that city. You're right. That was five, six years ago. I, I don't know where the time goes. I think um, I, I, you know, I still look back on, you know, my career and all the different things that I've been a part of or achieved. And there's certain stories I continue to tell. I'm like my mother, you know, hopefully the, uh, hopefully the stories don't change over time. And hopefully the faces don't change over time. That was something my mother was notorious of doing, where all of a sudden the things that my sister did, all of a sudden I did and vice versa. And we'd be like, no, mom, it went like this. I hope I'm not becoming that. But I have a feeling I probably, you know, have more traits of uh, of my mother and father than, uh, you know, than I than I than what I once thought were possible or was possible. I think that's one of the benefits. I used to be better at uh, journaling uh, occasionally and writing things down. Where I found I, I had some adventures during college where yeah, little things started a riot. Blah blah blah. So. This I, is why I don't write my stuff down because, you know, <laughs> then I have to talk about that time, you know, I went to jail in Nicaragua Republic, you know, I, mean, records. I learned that lesson as a runner for a law firm when I was younger, 
uh, that you need uh, the proper disposal of records after certain legal timeframes had passed. And you don't have that with journals. So yeah, there'd be, so, I mean, there's already some record there. We already had like there, <laughs> those of us that started this little brouhaha my freshman year in the dorms. Um, yes, yeah, somebody was removed from their stay there at the university. So because of that activity, but anyway, another time, but it's just interesting. The point I was going to make is I've, I've seen twice other people out there talking about it as if it was them. And I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't just me misremembering. Like I blogged about it fully, got pulled into the standards organization at the university and interviewed because of my involvement in, yeah, this is people misremember. I think, uh, you know, fun stories that kind of put themselves in. And after a amount of times, the brain goes, you know, hey, they were hey, there. that's what happened. That's you know, right. this is what my mother would do because she would argue with you. No, that was you. I remember I'm your mother. And I'm like, yeah, yeah right. Okay. Yeah. Well, on this this topic, I want to talk today about digital inclusion. Now, let's, and maybe we start with like what you're doing and what you're involved in, what you're doing this week. You were just talking yeah. about started. So. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what I got cooking. And, you know, I think for, you know, most people who've heard me speak or know me, um, you know, I'm, I'm this giant onion. And, you know, the longer you know me, the more you realize all the places, you know, I've got my my hands in, if you will. Um, it's one of my strengths and my weaknesses. Um, I'm learning to say no more and learning more to focus. But, um, you know, I'll talk about some of the main hats that I that I wear, if you will. Um, <clears throat> so as you mentioned, I am the chief penguin of IBM Z. Yes, IBM, I came up with my own job title and came up with my own job description. Um, you know, and that was kind of one of the fun things that I had an opportunity, um, you know, to do. And if you ever heard my GM, you know, uh, my general manager, uh, which he's got thousands of people on his team, you know, he runs the PL for the systems business, which is, um, you know, extremely large business. I should know what our revenue is. So Ross, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he would, he would introduce me as the chief penguin of IBMC, which um, is, is a whole heck of a lot of fun. Uh, people often ask me like, where did that come from? You know, uh, for those of us who, who work in tech, you know, I think when you think about, okay, um, penguin, what does that maybe stand for? And I'll ask you first, Christian, to see if you know the answer. I don't. And that's okay if you don't. If I say if I say tech and I say penguin, besides thinking of me, what you know what what comes to mind? And there, you know, I it's think, okay. If you I don't think know. of Linux. Well done. And if you think of Linux, then you think of what? I think of open source. Well done. All right, you did it. Good job. Okay. Um, I, I didn't bring any prizes, so I'll, I'll pretend just, like I'll I, pretend I, like this is uh, something more than Apple. I'm assuming juice. it's like a pass fail grade. So you know, I just you did well. Um, so you know, I uh, I used to work at Microsoft, as you know, um, before coming to IBM, and you know Donna Sakar, who I believe you you also yep. know, um, you know, Chief Technology Officer, Director of the Accessibility Team at Microsoft. You know, super amazing. You know, woman entrepreneur, um, engineer, leader, shenanigans starter. Yeah. You know, all those kinds of amazing designer. things. Designer, designer, all these yeah. amazing. Things. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, you know, she had called herself the the chief ninja cat, um, and I don't know if she still calls herself that. Either, either way, um, I had this FOMO thing going on. Like I loved Donna. 
And it wasn't like I need to copy her or compete because I love Donna and I want her to you create that. Like the stickers, the Microsoft Ninja Cat stickers and stuff. Was she that didn't create that, but she created the chief ninja cat, like the okay. that her yeah, yeah. being the chief of the ninja right. cat. Okay. For um, people who haven't seen that, like I have that, I have Ninja Cat stickers on my too. bags. And stuff. I got it. I got. I've got. I've got a T-shirt. You may even have a pair of socks from me I, from way I back do. in the day. Who knows? Yeah. Um, at any rate, I have this little FOMO thing going on, and you know, again, all like all goodness because I'm very, very much supportive of her work and what she does and who who she stands for and what she's achieved and what she will continue to achieve. But I had this FOMO thing, like I want to, I, I want this fun little job title. And when I left Microsoft, came to IBM. You know, I, I had a lot of, I had, you know, uh, a lot to think about, you know, what should my job title be? Should it be something more fun than, you know, whatever's in your HR database, right? And then I kind of, you know, there's a lot of different like Twitter handles, you know, especially in tech where you've got like Threddy the T-Rex and all these different, you know, kind of animal things going on. And, you know, that was kind of like in the back of my head, not really something that was like first and foremost, but... I took a trip to Pakistan and it was for work. Um, yes, IBM sent me to Pakistan and not to like send me there to keep me there forever. So I'd never come back. It really was for work, I promise. And I was in uh, Karachi. And when I was in Karachi, I met this woman named Jihan Ara who, run, who ran, she's not doing something else, but she ran this program, this incubator accelerator for startups. And it was called the Nest IO funded by Google. And she called herself the big bird of the nest. So I'm like, man, we got a big bird. We got a ninja cat. We got a T-Rex. You know, we got like all these animals. And what do I got, you know? And again, not about competition, but, you know, I want to do something fun with this. I don't really like my job title. It's not descriptive of what I do, which is so common in tech. You know, so many of us have these job titles like program manager or project manager or program director or whatever it is. And it's just not really descriptive of what you do. Not to say that, you know, Chief, uh, Chief Penguin is, but it's a hell of a lot more fun. And so I thought, what could I be? And I thought, you know what? You know, the program that I run at IBM, which I'll talk about in a second, is all about open source. And all my startups are working on open source technology. You know, IBM owns Red Hat. There's this really strong connection to IBM and the, you know, the open source community, you know, the innovation that it brings, the collaboration that it brings. And I thought, oh, Penguin, open source. Hi, hi, Donna, can I, can I borrow this cheap thing? Yes, you can, it's fine, please do. You know, so that, that uh, gave rise to uh, the chief Penguin. And I ended up having, actually yesterday, uh, the UN wrote an article about a working group that I'm on. And they included my, my quote in there. And it's all about protection, protecting children and young people from, from violence and giving them access to, um, you know, information on where they can turn for kind of peer-led support. We call it POP. Um, and I can't remember what POP stands for. It's like protection of people. And I can't remember. At any rate, it's POP. So um, they included a quote for me. And in there, it says, IBMC's cheek penguin. So this is not the first time the UN has called me the chief penguin. My GM has called me the chief penguin. So there you go. Documented. It's, can't it's, argue with that, you know? Exactly. Can't argue with that. It's so funny. Like, uh, you know, my my role, I've been in a year and now working with like, like ducks, he's like, you know, title and like, like, and I said, you know, like, I, I don't care. 
whatever you need me to be to talk about, like it doesn't change the things that I'm going to go and do. So whatever it needs to be so that it fits. And as you guys talk about, you know, those activities, but like, it's like I, for years, I was chief evangelist. And that was one of these where people would be like, that's kind of what I am. I mean, not for the whole company. We've already got those, but that's kind of what I am. But I thought, you know what? Like, no, we're just going to do these cool things. I'm going to do this cool, like off the, you know, off, off, uh, you know, off script, if you will, kind of thing. And, you know, it's not, you know, it's not really common at IBM where you find like people reinventing their job titles, you know what I mean? And well, a lot of it too, you think about it, especially like entry level and going up to the mid-level ranks. I mean, having some structure out of roles and titles is part of that progression things. And there's something to be said about getting to a certain point where- like, I remember like, when I got to be a manager and I was, I will never forget it. I remember when I got my first direct report and, you know, we were like gangbusters, you know, we were just, you know, like thick as thieves, you know, we won this like raving fan award for creating the most fans and advocates across the entire company with our, with our clients. And I will never forget when they said, you know, congratulations, we're promoting you to manager. I like was like thinking like I hit the big time, you know, like, like I made it, I'm on my way, you know, I was still like young and didn't know what it meant to be a, you know, to be a manager. I still have a lot to learn now and I still screw up all the time, but there you go. Yeah, it's, it's, um, but it's, yeah, you get to that point where, where it does become far, part of, you know, on the topic of, you know, inclusion, having titles that are um, more approachable and are a conversation starter, especially if you are out in community and doing something, there's something to be said about having. That's part of the reason I did it too, is I feel like it's a really nice icebreaker because it's a good first question. Do you know what I mean? And it's like a natural question because sometimes people, you know, and and it's really cute when, um, and I I like using the word cute in this circumstance. (laughs) It's really cute when I'm on with like a UN official or a government official and, you know, or when I'm working with someone and they've got to put me on an agenda, you know, like a UN or World Bank talk or like um, something to do with, um, you know, government, you know, I've introduced myself as the, you know, chief penguin and I've been on like the, you know, agenda or whatever with the secretary of state of, you know, a a small island state off of the west coast of Africa, Cape Verde. He's like, all right, Melissa, what is this what is this chief penguin thing? It's a really fun icebreaker, but sometimes like conference leaders, they get a little bit nervous. Like, do you have another job? How do we can put, you know, they're going to be like government officials there. I'm like, all right, fine. You can put this other one, you know? Yeah, no, no, you can get back down from that, Melissa. You just. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At but, any it, rate, but it is something like, that's okay. kind of evolved and changed that, that has, uh, you know, become more acceptable for that. And people, you know, understand, hey, there's some, uh, you know, there's some room for, uh, you know, the, for the creative and d- designers and like that, the kind of the maker crowd, you know, yeah. uh, amongst us. So I know I think that's a, it's a great thing, but again, sp- specifically with like the, the groups that you're working with and students and entrepreneurs. And I think it's just, it's much more approachable. It makes hundred percent that I'm a program director or I'm a program manager or I'm the global head of blah, you know? Yeah. Um, so I should probably actually get to the point of answering your question. What the heck do I do? Yeah. Um, you know, I could talk all day long and run around in circles, which is um, a strength and a weakness of mine. 
Um, but you know, my core job at IBM, I run a startup accelerator. I have 100 startups in my program. You know, some of them are different, you know, stages. Some of them have went to the wayside and don't exist anymore. Others have pivoted. Some have been like, yeah, thanks. We're, you know, going to do this other thing now. Um, but you know, I've got hundred startups who have been, you know, kind of, uh, ingested into the program in some way, some way, shape or form. Um, you know, 30 some odd percent, I think the number is 39%, yeah, 39% of my startups, uh, come from FinTech, 34% from health tech. Um, and then we've got, you know, what I would consider my sexiest startup. Um, and don't take that the wrong way. You'll hear, you'll see what I mean in a second. Uh, no, it's not running the OnlyFans account. Um, I am, uh, you know, I, I work with Timbaland, uh, the five-time Grammy award-winning music producer. Um, you know, we're still kind of figuring out, you know, what does that partnership look like? Where's it going to go? Where's it not going to go? Um, but they were accepted into cohort four. Um, so I've got four cohorts plus what we call Friends of Hyperprotect, um, which is kind of a fandom program and kind of a medium touch. Uh, and I'll explain what that means in a second. But music tech, they're out, you know, really reinventing the music industry. If you think about it, how many, you know, bedroom basement producers do all of us know? Meaning, I love music. I'm producing music in my free time but maybe they were never discovered or maybe they didn't know the right people or maybe they didn't have access or maybe they didn't have the money or the whatever, yeah. right? Um, you know, this is a, a platform that's bringing buyers and sellers together, you know, all under, you know, Timbaland and his manager, Gary, they're just doing some really cool stuff. So I had an opportunity to um, interview Timbaland and, um, you know, developed a really nice rapport with him. I've inter inter interviewed him twice, actually. Um, he did send me flowers. This is from your, from Timbaland and your, your friends at B Club, which was really cool for me. Cool. At any rate, um, you know, a lot of different diversity, but again, mainly FinTech, health tech. Um, they get two years of technical mentorship, one year of business mentorship. The whole concept is how do we help them to build, scale, and thrive through the power of working together with a big tech company like, you know, IBM. Obviously, a part of that is, hey, we have cloud, use our cloud, you know, uh, host things on, um, you know, our platform, uh, which is where the whole kind of open source thing comes into play. That's one aspect of my job. The other aspect of my job is running um, student uh, strategy for my division. And you know, it's really thinking about how do we bring um, people into tech? When I say people, I think honing in on, you know, people who've never been exposed to tech or computer science or data science, getting them access to, you know, understand that, hey, this place is for you. We know that we've got a diversity challenge, whether that's, you know, women and girls, people with disabilities, people with people of color. Um, so I do a lot of work to try to, you know, bring more people into tech, um, but also thinking about the future of work. Um, how do we prepare the world um, to be future ready? And in my mind, that covers kind of three gamuts, and that's entrepreneurial thinking, professional development, or what I like to call habitudes, habits and attitudes. Stole that from my friend Angela Myers. I really love that word. It's a fancy way of saying uh, soft skills. And then uh, entrepreneurial thinking, which leads me into my other shimmy that I got going on. So, um, I spent a lot of time, you know, um, working in um, my nonprofit. So I have a nonprofit. Uh, we've taught tens of thousands of young people to code in 12 countries. Um, Co-working space, robotics lab, IoT lab in Tunis, Tunisia. So sandwiched in between Algeria and Libya. 
we started as um, you know something to deter young people from violent extremism and to empower people with um, digital skills. It's been a little bit of a test bed for us. Funding from the US government, so through the US Department of State, the US Embassy in Tunis, um, we've gotten funding from HP, Google, SAP, um, and nominated for a number of different um, UN awards, something I've been very, very proud of. Haven't taken a salary for it, have kept the money all in country, really empowering the youth that run it, because it's all youth-led and youth-run. Um, it inspired me to create a new startup. So um, I have never shared with anyone um, the name of my nonprofit or of my new startup. So how would you like to know the name of my new startup? I would love to know the name. Yeah, what is it? You are never, you're not going to find it online yet because I have the URL reserved. We have not went live. Um, we're building the MVP right now. Um, I have a number of different investor conversations that's happening over the next, hopefully, month. And hopefully, we'll raise the capital that we need. By the way, if you want to invest, please let me know. Um, it's called Skills Hustle. And it's taking all of my work around digital skills and readiness, professional development and entrepreneurial thinking. I've been testing it out for the last three years and specifically in Tunisia, but also more broadly. Um, a lot of people kept asking me, when are you going to put this into an app? When are you going to allow us to hear your talks and collaborate in a practical way? You know, we wanna bring this into the classroom or we wanna bring this into our enterprise. How can, we, how can we do that? I'm like, okay, wait a second. I have people asking me for an app. I'm not building something that, you know, I'm going to try to shut down people's throats. They're asking me. And usually I do about, um, in the last four, last three years, I've done 400 talks, um, not all of them live, um, you know, many of them virtual, obviously it's the world we live in. Um, but usually I impact about 30,000 people every single year. And I do a lot of surveys afterward and, you know, all of the feedback, you know, is generally like four to five, you know, in terms of the, you know, on a, on a, on a you know, one out of five scale, five being good um, or great, I should say. And, you know, it inspired me to create this, um, this platform. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I've got a wonderful co-founder who's from Tunisia. He's here in uh, the U.S. with me, but um, more to come on, on skills, on skills hustle. Well, it's exciting. So what's the time frame? Do you have a time frame that you I do. I do. And the real the concept is if you think about it, you know, we're in a workforce crisis. Whether you look at the World Economic Forum, whether you look at the OECD, you know, some big organizations that, you know, talk about this stuff either from a workforce development perspective or from a, you know, educational standards perspective. We know that, you know, companies are struggling to um Higher, you know, we know that they're struggling when it comes to digital skills, entrepreneurial thinking, and you know, soft skills. Um, so, um, yeah, big challenges. We are refining the MVP right now. Um, should be ready in July or so. I have a few um, proof of concept projects lined up. By the way, shout if you want to do proof of concept. Super open to that. Um, and then we plan on taking in the feedback. Um, you know, from those discussions, you know, from those um, training, there's a component of the, the platform that has like an innovation hub, there's a community hub, 
you know, so there's some really interesting kind of both community and innovation that comes into this. Um, got to, you know, got to test it all out with real people. You know, obviously we've been, you know, testing some parts of it out in Tunisia, um, but we expect to, you know, kind of formally go live, assuming we do the raise that we expect, you know, uh, this year. And then assuming that happens, you know, January, and we're hoping that, you know, we actually are, you know, profitable within uh, a two-year period is, is our hope. Um, you know, it's what our business plan says now. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I'd love to share, you know, more on our, you know, stance around digital inclusion and what it is. But yeah, yeah. What do you think? Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's very exciting. I'm interested to know, uh, like, like, there's certainly some, you know, international communities that are growing very rapidly. And I, like, for example, like I was reading an article or or watching a, a video on YouTube around some of the entrepreneurs in like Nigeria. Um, I knew you were going to say that. And just oh, so, you know, just so like much. Nigeria, but, but it's, Egypt, yeah, South Africa. It's interesting though, looking at a lot of the communities and, and going and looking at like what, in your experience, I mean, what are the factors that make a difference? Is it the overall economic climate around it? Is there something in different regional, like, cultural aspects that lean towards entrepreneurialism. Look, I live in a part of the world here in the United States, in, in Utah, where, you know, fintech is massive in, you know. Oh, fintech's in, big everywhere. You should see what's happening across the continent in Africa. Sure. Nigeria has got some amazing things going on. Some of the things that are going on. But it's like culturally, regionally, if you look at the history of, there's a reason why it's so entrepreneurial. It's, 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 it's part of the regional culture of the area, which attacks that in. But are you, do you see kind of patterns for that, you know, as well? Well, I think that it's a few different things. Um, I will say that, you know, part of it is like, you know, in some markets, you know, access to jobs are just not what you want them to be. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example, Tunisia, you know, small market, 11 million people. Um, and it's also kind of a hotbed for, you know, entrepreneurship and, you know, uh, somewhat of a leader when it comes to um, startup friendliness. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the interesting dynamics there is you have significant populations of young people who are underemployed, unemployed, and educated, and high levels of tech education. But the challenge that you also see in some markets, you know, Tunisia being one of them, is you know, um, your educational system is based off of a French system, which um, is more based on kind of memorization. And if you imagine, how do you build entrepreneurial spirit if you're, and I'm not saying that the French system doesn't, you know, um, bring entrepreneurship. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying in, in some, you know, in some markets, you may not necessarily have been taught, you know, different elements of entrepreneurial thinking. You know, I mean, a lot of young people that, you know, expect, okay, I'm going to get a job after I get out of school because I have an education and I went and I worked hard. I got my education. I got good grades. And then there's this wide awakening of, wait a second, my skills are mismatched yeah. when it comes to what the industry is looking for. Melissa, so when you say that too, my, my first thought around it is how weak, uh, you know, and, and I'll look, I'll, and I'll talk largely from my experience with- yeah hiring people and education system here in the US, how ill-prepared they are for like the Socratic method of let's have Critical discussion. thinking, problem solving. Yes. Right. 
And that's the problem with that. This is where we're diving in. Conversation based, right. This is where we're diving in in the platform is really um, gamifying because a lot of the ed tech platforms that exist out there are video based, they're credential factories. And this is not to you know, disparage any existing ed tech because they're amazing platforms. Where there are I'm different learning learn. styles and some people that that's the best fit for as well. Exactly. But this, um, you know, we have a number of journeys. You can take it down the um, video journey. You can take it down the reference guide journey. Um, you can take it down the game journey. And it's really combining all of these different elements of learning. And then there's the um, innovation hub um, that is for projects. And, you know, imagine your, I don't know, multinational company, whatever, you know, let's say I work at IBM. So let's imagine IBM and let's say things go really well. And let's say IBM is like, Hey, we're done with you. We want you to be an entrepreneur. We want to buy, you know, services from you, you know, who knows what'll happen in the world. Right. Um, but imagine, you know, being able to have a, you know, innovation hub for like internal hackathons and open innovation where you can collaborate with one another or imagine being able to run worldwide challenges where you know um, anyone can come in and you know play a role in solving these big wicked challenges you know in an open forum you know granted we have a lot of challenges when it comes to moderating communities making sure they're healthy safe you know and um, you know we're protecting especially you know, youth, children, you know, um, not to say that my platform is going to be for children, but, you know, there's a lot of work that we need to do in that area. That said, I think the educational system is often a challenge, but there's this great need. And I think with the rise of people getting access to the internet and having digital skills, the skills that they may not be able to gain access to in their formal education, they can now gain access to anywhere, whether that's, you know, YouTube or any other, you know, free or paid you know, model, even if your favorite way of learning is not videos and credentials or, um, you know, certificates, all of that stuff people have access to. And I think what's also happening is we're seeing venture capital going into emerging markets. You also see, you know, individuals who may have been, you know, um, educated or worked in certain markets coming back home again, who might have lived abroad for some time saying, you know what, I'm going to take some of the you know, experiences that I've had in other markets. And that's not to say that you need, you know, experience from another market to come back home and solve a problem. The best problems are solved, in my opinion, by local communities who understand the local culture, the local needs, and are, you know, right there gelled as part of the, you know, part of the community. Um, and I think that there's just so much happening in this space where you also have access to, you know, entrepreneurship training, you know, Many of it's free, whether it's innovation, creativity, um, design thinking, um, growth mindset, how to pitch, how to create a business model canvas, how to, how to create a buyer's journey or a buyer persona, and how to not feel like an imposter. So much of it, like what you just described there, is, it, it, it sounds like it's similar to my, kind of like my perspective on this. It's like, generally there, there are great ideas out there. What people lack is the understanding, like how to move that forward. Like who well, do I go to? Accountability is self-motivation. It's, yeah. you know, also having resilience. It's being able to prioritize. And these are many of the components. I've got a, you know, slide that I'm looking at. So I don't remember, so I don't forget my talking points, but um, you know, if, if you were to picture the slide that I have in front of me, it's a wheel of competencies and there are eight of them. Um, and then if you think about 
the habitude section, there are eight of those. And those things are like, as you mentioned, critical thinking, problem solving, teamwork and collaboration, adaptability, persuasion, personal branding and storytelling, emotional intelligence, self-care and mindfulness. And imagine coupling that with digital skills. Same thing, same, same you know, kind of wheel of competencies. I, uh, I borrow the wheel of competencies from an amazing organization called the DQ Institute. It was endorsed by um, the World Economic Forum, by the OECD, and you know, also um, made up into a, an IEEE standard, which by the way, I'm the chair of the working group that brought this to the IEEE standards board and made it into a standard. Um, it includes stuff like digital identity, digital use, digital safety, security, emotional intelligence, super important, communication, literacy, which is where you see coding, computer science, data science, AI, machine learning, all that stuff, and uh, digital rights. So imagine having 24 journeys that you have an opportunity to go through. You've got a game for each one, a video, a live event. You know, you've got problems out there that you can solve with others and, um, you know, something that helps you to really become future, future ready so that when you do get that new job or you're struggling to get that new job, you think about, okay, what am I lacking? And a lot of people are lacking these very things. I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, the think about when I think digital inclusion, I think, what are the barriers now? I mean, we're, look, there's a lot of work to be done. And we, I mean, just little things like we take for granted now, 20 years ago, the big discussion, the hottest topic was uh, just uh, like bandwidth, having, you know, broadband access to be oh, able to do a lot of the cable. Broadband access is still an issue. Right. You know, um, we, you know, I don't know what the figure is as of right now, as of today, because it obviously changes every day. Mm -hmm. But, you know, last figure I looked at was 48% of the world lacks access to the internet. However, you know, it's not just about having access. It's about affordability because we have people, and it's not just, you know, in the global South. It's also in urban and rural communities in every single country around the world, including yeah. the United States. Well, that's, I, oh, I have this, this dream of moving out. I, I like, I, I would love to have, uh, you know, a little bit of, of, of property, a little bit of space, you know, out in a more rural area, working in technology. Like I'm, I'm kind of- You have to have in. access to the internet. And it I has have to, to be, have internet. You I have, have to. to. And this is one of the challenges that, you know, tech workers find, you know, when they, or just anyone who wants to work remote. But I think a lot of, you know, communities are looking into this. The infrastructure bill, for example, from uh, from uh, you know our you know current President Biden in the United States has you know um, significant you know uh, uh, funding opportunities uh, available. You know that really is aiming to relook at how um, uh, how funding has been given out. You know, and a lot of advocacy is happening around where are those universal service funds going. So universal service funds, for those of us who may not be familiar, are, you know, government funds that, you know, go toward, you know, important things, you know, like access to the internet. You know, if you think about it, you know, we, we funded roads and you would never think about, should we fund roads? Should we fund, you know, um, access to water? Should we fund, you know, um, uh, you know, wastewater treatment, you know, these kinds of things, right? So it's kind of like the new water, if one can say that, where I believe everyone, you know, should have access, but obviously 
the money's got to come from somewhere. And typically they, you know, the different countries from around the world have relied on private entities sometimes, you know, coming through some universal service funds. But many of the private companies in many parts of the world, even though they've gotten universal service funds, may not have necessarily built out you know, their networks that include everyone in that rural community because there's some wonkiness that often happens in reporting methodologies or auditing and making sure that you know, people have access. But if you think about it, it's not just about access. It's not just about can you afford it. It's also about, believe it or not, is the internet relevant for me? Imagine you're, you know, an elderly woman, an elderly man, you're someone who may not have digital skills regardless of what your age is. And I'm not saying if you're elderly, you lack digital skills. It's just a matter of, you know, where do we see this often, you know, coming to fruition? It's recognizing that a lot of people lack digital skills. Um, and if you don't feel safe and secure, and, you know, you don't feel comfortable like understanding or differentiating spam or, you know, phishing expeditions, if you will, you know, and you hear all these things about breaches and safety and security and, and ransomware and, you know, breaches of your customer, you know, of your, of your data, it ended up in, ending up on the dark web, you get your identity stolen. Those things are scary if you don't know how to navigate. A lot of um, uh, communities are investing in kind of like little help desks, if you will, or investing in um, digital skill building programs to help bridge the digital divide further by recognizing that it's not just about access, it's also about adoption. Well, it, you think about the, the the gaps again. I mean, you've covered so much of that. And I think it's, um, you know, it's also one of the, uh, this speaks to more of the, the, the soft skills. So a lot of times it's, it's people just um, getting past the scary, you know, act. Yeah, we're going to go learn this questions. thing. Right. Yeah. And, and, and being inquisitive and, and, and getting out and finding out what is actually available out there. But it's still scary. Like, you know, think about it. You know, a lot of the materials that get put, that gets put out there by experts around safety and security you know, you end up in the weeds so far and you've got all these acronyms and all these things. And you're like, you know what, can, can somebody just sit with me and tell me what to do, what not to do, what applications do I need to use? Why does it matter to me? And how is it going to help my life in terms of access to essential services, access to financial resources? You know, maybe your online banking, how do you maneuver within that? Um, access to healthcare, so like telemedicine, or access to education, or entertainment, or you know, collaboration tools, so I can you know FaceTime my my grandchildren or my you know my whatever you know. There's I was part of a uh, nonprofit, like the first wave of partners that provided services and expertise. It was kicked off in um, in the Seattle area, and the idea was to provide this, uh, you know, this digital education, the idea that, hey, if we provide a baseline of these capabilities, help people understand what is out there, how to utilize them, and then answer specific questions about their businesses. So you had, like, uh, so you had a- the B side for digital transformation or, or was this on the consumer side? 
So this was on the the B two B side of things. the B two B side. So how do they digitally transform? Get rid of. But these know, uh, but these were businesses like a, like a seamstress was there. There was a, a restaurant, and so they were asking a lot of those questions. They're like, but yes, how does it apply to me? It's like, well, let's talk about you that. Want to make it real that. for people? Right. You know, like, for example, through my PhD um, program and through my research for my dissertation. I, um, I interviewed um, tribal members in the United States, people who lacked access to the internet, to really understand um, their lived experiences and how those lived experiences of, again, living without access to the internet in their homes, how did this impact their lives? Whether that's you know, mainly socioeconomically, but also think about it as um, you know, uh, education, um, economic opportunity, healthcare outcomes, and one of the interesting things that I stumbled upon was the reason why I have this, um, this picture here, actually. This came from a Native American artist um, from uh, one of the pueblos in New Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. And um, this individual um, was, he and his partner were selling their wares. You know, like he paints, she makes jewelry and, you know, other types of, you know, beadwork. I don't think I'm wearing, no, I'm not wearing her piece now. I was yesterday. Um, but, you know, really amazing things. But imagine your sole livelihood was based on selling your handicrafts in markets, in festivals and, you know, um, trade show kind of things. Yeah. And imagine COVID happens. The Pueblo or the reservation is on lockdown. Your entire income is gone. Right. And what they did was something really, um, I felt interesting and exciting. They, you know, didn't feel that they had digital skills, but what they did is they, they did have Facebook accounts and they'd use them for like, kind of like staying in touch with friends and stuff like that, you know, posting things and, you know, they were consumers of technology, you know, they weren't creators, they weren't makers, they weren't doers from an economic perspective, you know, and, you know, through understanding that they could move their sales to Facebook Marketplace, for example. They could set up a Facebook page. And what they did is they would drive, you know, to the local library or the local fast food restaurant or the local, you know, super center, whatever, um, sit in the parking lot or be inside. And they set up their, their marketplace and they researched and talked to other people and, you know, figured out a new way of gaining access to new markets, getting access to new customers, you know, telling their story and spreading their culture. And so it pushed them into a different direction. Um, I have three pieces from the same from the same gentleman. And I've got one here, you can't see one that's over there. And one of them says, and it's a quote from, you know, one of their um, uh, kind of heroes or thought leaders or historical figures. And I can't remember who it was who said it. It's on there, but it's really small and I can't read it. It says, my grandchildren, education is a ladder. Tell our people to take it. And it really inspired me um, to think about the role that education plays to transform people from consumers of technology into creators, makers, and doers enabled or empowered by technology and this family is, I think, a perfect example of that. But they have significant, significant strife in being able to do that because they're not like, you know, where you and I are hanging out today, you know, where we wake up and walk, you know, make a coffee, you know, on a call, on over it to the right. desk or the office or whatever. Yeah. 
you know, they got to get ready. They got to go to the car. They got to have every, all their wares with them and maybe doing it in the car. Yeah. So lots of big, wicked challenges. It's not just impacting, you know, um, people over there. And I mean that with all due respect, I think sometimes in the U S people have this view of, well, you know, oh, this is an issue over there, somewhere far away land. I don't know where. No, it's an issue. I, right I've here. had enough uh, you know, interactions with the rural communities to understand that. Actually, going back, I mean, this makes me think of you're like you were talking about, you know, how do we pay for these kinds of things? So I, mean, I, I early in my career worked for the phone company and, and everybody complains about like the little fees that are tacked on there. And a this lot of it is for that's where universal service funds go to. Right. Exactly. I mean, unfortunately, I think we haven't been as wise as a as a country as we could be, you know, when it comes yeah. to how you allocate those resources out. You know, there's a, a long history of why that is, um, that's neither here nor there, but I think there are a lot of, you know, interesting thought leaders out there. Um, I, I'd like to hopefully include myself as one of them, you know, to highlight the different opportunities that we have. I'm gonna be in Portland uh, in uh, uh, a couple of weeks um, at a conference that's talking about exactly this. It's gonna have about, you know, six, 800 people, you know, talking about, you know, the digital inclusion in the United States and, you know, federal data, you know, what do we have access to? What's wrong with it? What's right with it? What can you do with it? Um, but also affordability and, you know, um, adoption, which again is typically, why does this matter to me? Do I have the skills? So with so much of this, that I, I go back to that, you know, like, opening your mouth, asking questions. Uh, gotta critically think, you gotta. That, that, that side of it, um, be, because that's also the, the beginning. One of, you know, uncovering what might be available and just, you're just not aware of that. What are the resources that are actually available to my to my region, to my industry, to this, this focus? Um, I mean, it, it's not like there's, I, I mean, I know we have internet searches that you can go and do to find out about, like, how would somebody, you know, halfway around the world find out about like your program and to like, hey, I have this idea. Blood, sweat and tears, man, I'm telling you. Um, you know, I will tell you though, um, if we circle back to my startup program, because I think that was a really nice segue into how do we find out about stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm recruiting 45 um, early stage entrepreneurs um, to join my IBM Hyper Protect Accelerator. You can Google that. You can find me easily on Twitter, Mentor Africa with a K. I think you'll probably hopefully include a few links. Um, but, you know, we're, we're recruiting 45 startups, less than 15 million in revenue, less than 10 years old. Um, you know, granted, you got to be, you know, open to using some of my tech stacks. So there's a little bit of a catch there, but we'll give you credits to do it. $120,000 worth. Um, you know, that said, we, you know, typically look at startups that are dealing with um, sensitive data, you know, so it's not going to be right for every single startup out there, you know, but if you're, you know, you know, someone or you are, you know, a founder or developer, you know, working in a startup where you are touching sensitive data, you should come and check that out our program. Um, it uh, is, you know, really focused on data protection, privacy, security, and compliance. Um, and really, how do you protect your data to the furthest extent possible? You'd be running your workloads off of a Linux One machine, uh, which is the most secure server in the world. Um, obviously, uh, I think depending upon the audience, we can definitely debate that under, you know, certain, um, you know, other, you know, other, uh, other avenues. Uh, but that's what the bosses told me, so we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, that said, I think there are, you know, really cool opportunities for mentorship. Um, you know, if I put my IBM hat on again, I run an IBM um, student hub. It's called the IBM Z Global Student Hub. You know, again, easy to Google, easy to find it. I'll, I'll include some links. Um, you know, that way, if anyone is interested in, you know, checking things out or, you know, connecting directly, you know, you've got a pathway in, or if you want to throw up, throw up me, but throw a bunch of money at me to finish up my version one of my, my platform, um, or do an, uh, you know, do a proof of concept, you know, I'm, uh, I'm always open for that. Well, and if, yeah, it would be great if you provide uh, uh, links and I can put include in the blog post, of course, those yeah. that are finding this via the podcast listening in, you go over to buckleyplanet.com and I'll have and search for Melissa. Sure. Sassy, you'll be able to find the links to everything that provided. Uh, as well, well that's, this is awesome. That. And I, I'll close out with one thing. I probably should have mentioned this first, but so my first startup in, so I co-founded this during business Tell me more. in 97, we were in an IBM incubator. Ah, interesting. We got hardware, we got equipment. So that was with IBM and connections from like uh, 97 to 99. And I got my picture, or I'm in a picture in the IBM annual report for that year. So, no flipping way! That's super awesome. Now I have a now I have an aspirational goal of how do I compete with uh, Buckley, yeah. and how do I make sure that I get into the IBM annual report one day? People don't know too. That's like a it's like a telephone <laughs> book. I mean, it's it's like an inch thick. It's it's pretty serious yeah. in there, but. Yeah, so uh, is the CEOs, there were a few CEOs that were part of that incubator that were invited out and it was like a day long photo shoot and it was, and then half of the CEOs left, we were actually having dinner and the, there was a photo of us sitting around having dinner, that's the one that made it in, so... <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, that's it, super. That's super cool. I swear, like um, the world is so hyper connected, and you know, it's such a small world. You know, it's just um, yeah, so super. And that cool. was late '90s, and this is part of the power of you know community and the connections mm -hmm. made is that. So I'm still in touch with several of the members of that founding uh, uh, group. This is what I aim with, you know, aim to do. And we're doing it now, but we have, um, you know, certainly, you know, starts and stops and lessons learned and areas where we're like, oh, that wasn't so good. You know, um, that said, you know, I, I aim to take these, you know, 100 startups plus, you know, the, the 45 work on that, you know, ad this year and, you know, really thinking about how is this actually, you know, uh, building a community of entrepreneurs and, you know, how do we all thrive together? You know, my program, a lot of it has peer-based mentorship. So we're giving feedback to one another. And frankly, you know, as a female founder, you know, kind of out doing my thing as well on the side, you know, I just learned a ton of like, just about business 101 of like the importance of connections and network and, you know, all of these things that I've talked about, you know, today in terms of skill sets, whether it's you know, digital skills, habitudes, or entrepreneurial thinking, you know, all of this stuff is really the secret sauce behind not only how do you be a successful business leader in your own company and entrepreneur, but how do you be an intrapreneur, you know, innovating and creating in someone else's company? Because not all of us want to be the CEO. Right. None of us even care about being the CEO. Right. And, you know, similarly, not all of us want to be an engineer or a data scientist or whatever. 
Yep. No, that's a that's a great point. Uh, yeah, that's that's. Uh, in fact, I just had somebody ask me. I was at an event. Was at a, a, a just last week. Was on the road. Was down in Phoenix and was given kind of the background. And somebody said, "Like, why are you in a big big company? Why 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 did you go?" And I said, "You know, just looking at the stages of my own life." And I said, "You know, this was the the right opportunity and great company and and there's a bunch of different reasons in the role." Um, it's it, sometimes it's not all roses being a CEO and being out there in front. And, it is. I mean, you, you know, you're a founder, you, 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 you understand this, the, the hustle. And, you know, I think understand the hustle of, you know, being on both big company, small company, whatever, it's a hustle, you know, and, you know, it's, it's scary, you know, knowing that you've got to land this and this and this so that you can eat. And right. your family and you need access to that that and that or and usually okay. you eating comes after paying employees and paying vendors yeah it's, it's really hard and you know there's a lot of risk involved in it 80 to 90 percent of startups fail yeah. you know how do you make sure that you're not part of that and i i don't necessarily believe in failure or believe in hey you may fail but as long as you learn from it you really you know did gain something at, out yeah, of you it you get a lot of value yeah, what, what might be seen as a failure? Uh, look, I've been in a couple of my startups, one of my nonprofits, you know, might be viewed from the outside as a failure, but the years and all of the success that we had, the connections that were made, the value that we provided, money was made. It, ultimately, like we didn't get, have an IPO and become mega rich. That yeah. I don't equate success with that. Um, I, I do look at all of the rest of the value. There's multiple reasons why you go and become an entrepreneur and do that. That's that's one, that's a nice thing to have, that kind of financial success. But I look at what I learned, what I did, some of the projects. It's it's some of the moments in my career that I'm proudest of. Yeah. Um, they weren't yeah. huge commercial successes, but- It's fun going out there doing the thing. You know, you're yeah. like, and I think it's also really, what I, what I like about it too is, you know, there's a lot of risk, but there's a lot of reward, especially if you believe in what you're doing. And um, you also are solving a big, wicked challenge that the world, the community, your, yeah. your town, your city, your state, your country, your region, whatever, you know, um, there's a lot of pride that comes into like saying like, wait a second, you know, I've done so much research in this like particular field or problem or, you know, industry or whatever, you know, that wow, I, I'm kind of like, I kind of got this, like, I'm kind of doing the thing. And, you know, for those of us who grew up in families where, or, you know, had people tell us like me, you know, I grew up in a, in a, you know, small town in rural Missouri, and I've had a teacher, I've had a counselor, like, you're never going to be shit, Melissa. I've had, I mean, I've had that directly said to me. I, and I had a, a, a university um, a professor once tell me because I, I didn't want to go on like the tour after studying abroad, you know, and it was like a, a group tour. And I was like, I didn't need the credit. I didn't care about it. I was going to graduate anyway. I was going to do it. And then I was like, my mom said, you know, Hey, by the way, if you don't want to go on that tour, you don't have to. Um, and I'm like, really? She's like, yeah. She, and I had the financing because I worked really hard, you know, throughout the year to afford, you know, traveling around and Granted, I did it on a shoestring. I had a backpack and probably two pairs of jeans to last me like three months. Well, that's a, another conversation. But, um, you know, I, 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 I backed out of it and he got really angry that I didn't want to go. 
and told me, you know, your attitude, you're, you're never going to amount to anything. You are going to be shit like you are shit on this trip. How dare you come here and not end up going on the last you know, part of the trip? And I'm like, you know what? My mom said I didn't have to go. I don't want to go. And frankly, I don't like you. And, you know, um, later on, I was supposed to go on another study abroad, you know, thing, because I decided that I was going to do one more thing before I graduated. And it was like a three week trip. And I had one professor give me a scholarship to do it. And he heard about it and he tried to block it with the other professor. Really strange. The other professor was like, no, what you're saying is not true. I think the problem is you. And, you know, it was uh, not only nice to have someone believe in me, but I always remember, you know, those three people, you know, it was like Mrs. Porter. I'll never forget Mrs. Porter. I'll never forget my high school counselor and that, you know, that teeth, that professor. And, you know, now I look back and, you know, not to say that I've achieved everything that I could achieve, that I plan to achieve, and that everything that I've done has been successful. You know, but I look back and I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've had the same Where are you all now? You know, it's interesting. I've had so twice where I've had managers who told me like something similar of like, like you're not meant for leadership and success around this. And it's and I and I was able to see, I mean, at the at the time of both of those, I said both of these were terrible managers, meaning like they had problems with every one of their direct reports. Oh, I've been there. We've like all that, been. They're very toxic. The bad side. manager, the toxic manager. Right. It's awful. And, and so you have to not take that personally. You have to put those things in perspective. And there's a certain degree of this, like, look, go show them how. I'm one of those people. You're probably to some degree you are too of, of the, well, I'll go and show them that, like what I can go and do. But it's and it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter how good or bad or mediocre you are. You know, um, I've been in a situation where I didn't get on with a manager like we just did not see the eye eye to eye. We, you know, our personality types just didn't, you know, uh, mesh well together. Um, And this individual was looking for someone who was more of like, a, I don't know, like, I I know I'm going to use the wrong term, but this is the term that's coming to my mind is a yes man. And I know I'm being gender specific. I know what you mean, but but you know what I mean? It's the term. Um, And I'm not that, you know, I'm I'm a free thinker, but I'm going to follow what I need to follow when it comes to like strategy, direction and that sort of thing. But like, I may have a, a task list of 10 things, right? And my way of thinking is I'm going to do, you know, the one through 10 in my order. Right. But that boss's order was like different than mine. And if the order wasn't in that person's order, like I may go one, you know, I was like one, two, three, five, six. That is the definition of a, uh, of a micromanager. It's like- This individual was, and it was- Don't be, don't, like you shouldn't care so much. I I know we're going down a slightly different path, but we should care so much about how somebody accomplishes something like give people room to do it their way. It's what it's another thing to have. Okay. Here's the expected outcomes. Here's what we're measuring. This is what we need to accomplish. I want, you you, I want your KPI to be this. You got this much time. Here are the things to think about. Here's what's going to slip you up. You know, here's the information you need to know. Here's some people who can help. I'm here if you need me. 
Right. Now, some people need hand-holding, and this is one of the things I think that um, we hope to facilitate through our platform and through the, you know, in the open innovation, um, you know, hub, if you will, which is, you know, how do we, how do we bring these skills to people who, you know, might necessarily have the critical thinking or the problem solving or the teamwork skills that require a manager to be like, okay. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that, and that's an interesting you know, gap for or opportunity for a solution and uh, for for a network to. to I'm not saying I can I can solve the micromanager issue. Yeah, but no, but it's no. but by providing a, a method for the learning of these skills in a place for people can ask questions and you know go through a that safe place. You know, yeah. like how many how many times do we want a safe place to do things. Um, Wow, we're, we just we just went all over the place. We well, I'm about interested. Once it, once it goes live, we'll have to connect again and talk about that and some of yeah. what we're seeing and some of the experiences. So, Melissa, sure. really really appreciate your time today, and glad we we're able to connect. And we'll I'm sure we'll su su see each other soon somewhere. Hopefully, so. hopefully. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, you know, I as you can tell, I, I wear a lot of hats, got a lot of things going on. I'm very fortunate that. I have the flexibility of working for a company that enables me to go out and, you know, do my thing and, you know, um, understand that I am, you know, fully dedicated to what I got going on, but I got my side hustle too. And, you know, there you go. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a whole nother discussion right there of organizations that are supportive of community. That's a, that's a great topic to go oh, through. Oh, I love it. I'm in for that. If you I ever work for one of those as well. That's, yep. a, that's a big thing. And it's it's new to a lot of organizations, but we'll have to jot that down in the notes for the next I time. like it. I like it. Well, Christian, thank you for having me. Um, I, 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 uh, I I just always like talking to you and thank you for allowing me to share my story, to share what I'm working on. And hopefully for those of you listening, um, you found it, um, well, not boring. <laughs> not boring is a good goal. How's that for like setting the bar high? <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Christian. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint, and I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens podcast. <laughs>